if you have some kind of specific expertise, offer yourself up in that way. And that's still getting the word out about your company. Those can we still do it? All right, welcome everyone to the local Storecast. I, as always, am your questionably humble host, William Glass. And with me today is Chloe Morrison, reporter on the business beat for Nuga.com. That's N-O-O-G-A.com. Chloe, thanks so much for being with me today. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. So, Chloe, I would love for people to not wait one more second to get to know who you are. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and tell us where you come from, how you got in the current gig, what you were up to before that, etc.? Absolutely. Um, I'm originally from Middle Tennessee, Clarksville, uh, but I came to Chattanooga to go to UTC and um, I studied communications there. I worked at the school newspaper and worked my way up to editor in chief there. And that's kind of where I fell in love with journalism and uh, knew that's what I wanted to try to make a career out of. So after that, I landed a job out of college at the Chattanooga Times Free Press. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a, a lot uh, in part and And thanks to my mentorship at UTC, I can't stress enough how important, you know, having mentors and networks and that, especially in Chattanooga, that really helped. Um, Mm. So I went to the Times Free Press and I covered everything from education to agriculture to lifestyle stuff, kind of really got a second education there. Um, And then after that, I had been in, in Chattanooga for about eight years and I was getting a little antsy, so I moved to Knoxville, and I got a job at a small newspaper outside of Knoxville called the Maryville Daily Times. And I was a cops reporter there for about two years, but I quickly realized that there was something unique about Chattanooga. It kind of took me leaving Chattanooga to realize that I missed it. Mm. And so I was looking to get back, and the same mentor that helped me get my job at the Times Street Press said, hey... I know you're looking to get back to Chattanooga. This new startup media company is starting and and you should apply. And that was six years ago last week. And that was Nuga.com. And um, I am still here and covering business in Chattanooga. And it couldn't have been better timing. It couldn't have been a better fit. It's just, it's really cool. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Six years, a big milestone. Yeah, six years with a company in this in this day and time is is amazing. And for a startup to endure six years is amazing. So that's you, you got wins all around over there. <laughs> awesome. Um, why Chattanooga? You said you moved away and then you realized, oh, this is back this is where I want to be. What was it about Chattanooga that did that for you? Yeah. Well, so when I was looking at colleges, I knew I, um, for just financial reasons, needed to stay in state. And so I kind of looked at all the normal state colleges, a couple private ones. Uh, But when I came to Chattanooga, and this was in, I guess it would have been like 2001. So way before kind of all the the renaissance that the newer renaissance that we're, we probably are talking about now, although the changes in Chattanooga have been going on for decades. But when I came in 2001, there was just this vibe. It was something that I couldn't put my finger on. So it almost wasn't even the school, although UTC is great. But there was this vibe about Chattanooga that I was like, this feels like a place that I could really thrive in. And so I chose UTC because of Chattanooga. And then, you know, I just being here, being in one place for eight years and being kind of young 20s, 
Um, there was also a boyfriend in play who, who had moved to Knoxville. So all these kind of reasons were like, Hey, why don't you try something else? Mm. You know, do you want to, maybe you don't want to stay in Chattanooga your entire career. But Mm. then I went away and I saw that there were all these like almost intangible things that I, I missed. And so I came back and in the two years that I was gone, this kind of startup entrepreneurial revolution had just kind of begun. Mm -hmm. And I came back kind of right at a perfect time to start covering it. It, It's all the things that I hear daily and that people talk about um, Chattanooga there. It's the, the people, it's the walkability, it's the scenery, it's being located, you know, conveniently between Nashville and, and Birmingham and Atlanta. It's, it's just, something about the city it's it's almost hard to describe but Hmm. it for people who live here and really love it you kind of it's this unspoken affection that is just here yeah and as you've come back what have been the best kept secrets like what is what does chattanooga do have that nothing else does i guess a part of it is the people here are really really passionate about the city and about making the city great. And they do a relatively good job of working together for that common goal. Lawmakers and and the mayor and everybody talk a lot about public and private partnerships, which have made big projects possible. And it's it's got a, this kind of like influx of young people from all around the world that are coming and bringing a, a diverse a set of ideas. So it's it's a lot of different things. It's I mean, because I was thinking about that. Knoxville has all the you know, it has the Smoky Mountains right in its back back porch. But you can't I can be in downtown Chattanooga and get to like an awesome wooded hike in 15 minutes or yeah. 10 minutes. So it's just this kind of and and the city is really beautiful downtown you can walk across the walking bridge i can walk from work to home to um home um knoxville was not walkable at all in that way and you know so you would literally have to drive 10 minutes and find parking when if it had been set up a little different you could walk to all these little different Mm -hmm. boroughs those are some of the things that stick out did i answer that question yeah sure (laughs) yeah it's it's been one of my favorite things about chattanooga is the the I tell people all the time, it's kind of like somebody dropped Brooklyn into the middle of the mountains. Right. It has that sort of walkable feel. It has the energy in part because of the the startup revolution you're talking about. It has that really cool energy. People just are uh, out doing stuff. And that just makes the place feel really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then that has changed. When I started at UTC, I had a, you know, a older upperclassmen take me kind of around and they said, you know, never walk on ML King Boulevard by yourself. It's really dangerous. And that's literally like a block away from the school. Now Mm -hmm. I live on MLK Boulevard and there are businesses popping up everywhere. And it's debatable at that time, whether it was dangerous or not. I don't know. I was a freshman in college and just taking (laughs) advice from the person who lived there. Um, But like just in the six years that I've been back, Main Street has blown up. MLK is blowing up. The North Shore has gotten uh, is is continuing to develop, and it and the development is very, I think, intentional. And now that's not to say that there aren't you know problems and criticisms, gentrification type 
ideas. But I think that for people that are living and working downtown and for tourism, um, there's a lot of positive stuff. Sure. Well, excellent. So what is it? What is it about the business beat that kind of keeps your attention? Why did you want to work at that desk uh, at Nuga? Well, so <laughs> I didn't really choose it. I I interviewed for that job, and and that was kind of the one they were looking to hire. Um, but it just turned out that it couldn't have been a better fit. I had covered some business at other outlets, but I hadn't done it exclusively. So I did have a lot to learn. There's a lot of business lingo. There's you know. There's big business, there's small business. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as I got into it, and I'm kind of one of those people that whatever I start researching, I find I pretty much easily find it interesting. Uh-huh. But everything from Volkswagen, uh, you know, be, landing here, bringing thousands of jobs, all the stuff that happened is happening there to, you know, a small, the smallest food truck or the smallest one person startup or all these business incubators that right. are are collaborating and and helping lift up entrepreneurs and businesses. Once I started reporting on all that, um, and then even more, even just more traditional, you know, small to medium sized businesses. Everybody has a story, and it just was. It happened to be flourishing at the time that Nuga started. So once I started diving into it, I just found like story after story after story of of people who came here from another place, a people who have been here for 30 years and celebrating 30 years in business. It's just it, the business scene has a lot going on. And although I didn't seek it out to be the business reporter, I am so very lucky that um, that's where I landed. Hmm. And took a long slog Cross that wide gray gold, the awful road of God. What do you think a business has to gain from building a good relationship with its local press? Why does that matter? Oh man. Um, well, I mean, the the first thing that comes to mind is publicity. Although you know, uh, advertising is always good. That's that's what helps support all the local media. But having a good relationship with with reporters here helps you uh, get your message out. It helps you understand a little bit more about storytelling and what the public wants to know and how to tell that to the public. I mean, so if you're a business and nobody knows about you and nobody knows who you are or what you're doing or why you're doing it, that's that's a that's a negative, you know. So yeah. if you have if you have a good relationship with reporters, they can help say, "Hey, look, look at this business. Look what they're doing. Look who's behind it." And that has the potential to drive customers. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, I guess for businesses, that's the main one. I think that uh, anybody could benefit from kind of understanding press and media more because I do think it's a very misunderstood kind of industry. Sure. So, One of the, yeah. I think also just, I mean, connection, everybody, everybody is connected through the press. So one of the things that, you know, that I've discovered in working in different towns and in different markets is just that the way it's the press are kind of like real estate agents, but not trying to sell you a house in the right. sense that like they know everybody, 
That's a, that's another great point. And I actually do get a lot of people that say, hey, can we just have coffee? I'm new to town. I want to know who you know, or I want to know the best way to get plugged into this. Uh, I, you know, can you help me figure out how to pitch a story? Um, I do a a good amount of just, yeah, helping connect people. That's a really great point. So this is a a word out there to all the aspiring journalists. You never have to buy yourself coffee again. Just, (laughs) just say yes to people who want to get connected. (laughs) I don't buy people coffee. People offer to buy me coffee. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, right. Okay. No, I don't let people buy me coffee either though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, 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 you mentioned that, that people, you know, they want to sit down with you, buy you coffee and connect. What is the best way for um, a new business owner if they're thinking, oh, it might be smart to try to forge good relationships with the local press? What's the best way for them to do that from your experience, both in Knoxville, which you know, is a slightly bigger town and in Chattanooga? Yeah, um, that's a it's an interesting question because it kind of depends on in my experience, it depends on the reporter and the publication. So Nuga.com is a little smaller and um, we are very all the reporters are very active on Twitter. So and on social media. So you can get in touch with me like my cell phone number is out there everywhere. You can tweet me. I'm always I make an effort to reply to every person who tweets. Mm-hmm. You can email me, you can text me, you can call me. But at a, that's not necessarily the same at the the Chattanooga Times Street Press for each for every reporter sure. or for every publication. Like at, at the this I, and I walked worked outside Knoxville. So there it was more like call my desk office or or people could tweet me too. But I think part of what people don't get is you kind of have to tailor, figure out what reporter or reporters you want to talk to and figure out how they like to communicate. And that might be as simple as asking them, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Or how do you like to be pitched? Or how, how can I, you know, cause I'll get today, I got a message on LinkedIn and I never check LinkedIn and it's from a long time ago. And that's like the one way that one thing that I never check. Mm -hmm. So if you only had sent me a LinkedIn message, you probably think, well, Chloe just never responds, but there are so many countless other ways to get in touch with me. So I think you you find out who like who the business reporters are, assuming you're a small business, you find out who they are and you make the first connection, however that may be, call them, email them and say, hey, what's the best way to communicate with you? What's the best way to send press releases? What's the best way to ask a question? And and they'll tell you. For me, it's it's kind of a hybrid, but like I'm honestly faster at replying to an email or a text or a tweet then I am getting a phone call or, or calling somebody back. Right. That's just kind of my thing. So you might have called me and left a message and it's on my to-do list, like my endless to-do list to call you back. But had you texted me, I probably would have texted right back. So right. It kind of depends. I think that's really fascinating and super important to strategy for local businesses in general is find the people who communicate in a, in a way that you understand and then tailor your your outreach to them to the way that they like to communicate back. So if you follow a reporter who's tweeting everybody, well, you know that's a way to get, you know, to get their attention. But if they never tweet back, then don't waste your time. You know, keep looking until you find the way that it works. Absolutely, 100%. And I would say that that kind of can probably translate to business relationships in general. You exactly. know, depending on somebody's age or their schedule or their family life or whatever it is, people have 
different ways of communicating and you will be better served if you can can match that. And I think this is super, I mean, I've interviewed a lot of local business owners and Chloe, you may be the only person I've met who's interviewed more business owners <laughs> than I have. But what I hear constantly, it comes up over and over again, is the the sense that if I could just make this connection, things would get better. And then the sort of paralysis that says, I have no idea how to go about that. Um, And as somebody whose literal job is connection, what are some ideas you have about that? Besides the, I mean, you've, you've come up with some great ones already about sort of knowing how a person likes to get communicated with and then getting in line there. But Mm -hmm. what are some ways to get like, what are some ways to get out of the noise and actually really get someone's attention um, in, in, in trying to reach out to them? Absolutely. Um, one of the things I would say, and, and there's a balance to it, but I would say persistence. As, so as a reporter, if I need to speak with somebody and you know they didn't email me back and they didn't call me back, or it's kind of my job to keep trying. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you just have to drop it and be like, okay, this person is never going to get back with me. But I would say be persistent. Don't think calling once or sending one email is is enough. Now, make sure that you don't call five times a day, five days in a row right. and bug the crap out of somebody because they might be on vacation. They might have just had a baby. They might, you know, like they might not just be ignoring you. Um, but another good thing I always say is like, if you get this and can let me know if you're not interested in whatever you're asking. You know, if you're not interested in this story, if you're not interested in having a conversation with me, let me know so I can move on. It's as simple as being clear with your communication, mm-hmm. being persistent, and then being clear about it. I also think, and this is something maybe uh, I just noticed specific to Chattanooga, there are countless, and people are really willing to help here. There are countless networking opportunities. Um, go and get face to face with somebody. When you meet somebody face to face, it's easier for them to remember you. It's more likely that they will want to help you, and you're not just kind of an anonymous phone call um, that you know you've you've called somebody a billion times. So so take advantage. I know that at least for me, networking stuff can seem a little tedious or like, oh, who am I really going to meet? But I'm always surprised when I actually go and meet somebody face to face and you you'll just be remembered more if you take advantage of those kind of things. Right. Uh, There's so much there. I just want to unpack a couple of those things. The one about persistence. It's interesting because when I got started years ago in the sales game, one of the things that I was shocked to discover is that busy people expect persistence right. and the amount of time that passes that means you should drop it and the amount of time that passes that means you should keep going are a lot harder to tell than you think like often you think someone has long lost interest and then you know you sort of stick it out and make one more gesture and it clicks and you think gosh i shouldn't i shouldn't say no for people so i really love what you said about making it easy for them to say no but then don't say no for them Right. And that's a, that's a huge thing because especially, yes, busy people, I have, you know, 50 emails that I have marked as unread because I need to come back to them because I need to respond to that person. It's not that I'm not interested. It's that I am juggling a million different things. And so if you, and so out of those 50 people, if you're the person who reaches out again and reminds me, Hey, you haven't gotten back with me you might jump to the top of my list and be like, oh, okay, this person has reached out again. And I, 
sometimes for me, I mean, a two week period of not getting back with somebody, I feel really bad about it a lot, but I'm like, time just slipped my mind. It just slipped. You know, right. I just, it, I had no intention of ignoring you. I just haven't gotten to it. That yet. happens. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and no, no one feels good about that, but everybody's a little behind. And so right. I, I think that's just so valuable for, I mean, because not, not everybody, not every local business person has a sales person, but everybody's trying to make connections and everybody needs to get, um, needs people to help them move to the next level. And I think knowing, like not interpreting a week of silence as I'm not interested in you is Absolutely. really important. Absolutely. And there is that other balance of, you know, because I, there are some times when I'm like, okay, you really have to stop calling me <laughs> because <laughs> I, um, and usually that's when I feel like I've said, like, I'll get to it if I can. And otherwise, like, we don't really need to talk again. And the person just keeps saying like, are you going to get to it? Are you going to get to it? Are you going to get to it? Right. That, you know, so you have to try to be good at reading people. Um, but also like you, like I was saying, ask them. And, and when they say I'll get to, it if I can, take it as I'll get to if I can and, and, you know, take it another direction with them. Say, do you have anybody else I can contact or, or just move on to the next person? Right. I think this is so super helpful because I mean, again, as somebody who, who does this all the time, you, you've experienced the good and the bad on, on this. And, you know, you've, you've seen people who are really great at it. You're, you know, you're clearly very good at it and you've probably seen people who are pretty dreadful at it. Right. And so I think what's interesting is the principle here is care about the other person enough to not force them into a position where they have to be bad to you. Right. Um, you know, make it as easy as possible for them to say no while being persistent and continuing to invite them into relationship and give them a reason to do it. I, I think that's just outstanding. You're right on. Absolutely. And, and another thing I would say is, um, you know, don't take it personally, especially if you're a, a new small business and, you know, somebody doesn't get back with you or someone can't do something right away with you. That's, it's really not personal in most cases. And I know that entrepreneurs, you know, put their heart and soul into their work and they're, and, and they're working their butts off. And so it feels very personal, yeah. but it, it, in my experience, most of the time, things like that aren't personal. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if anybody knows that, I mean, you know, it's it's sort of the classic, the cliche about reporters is right. They, they've been chasing <laughs> you for four months to get you to to take a few minutes and, and, and do an interview. But, you know, what's for you, Chloe, what's the longest just just because I think it will probably surprise some people. What's the longest you have you have stayed in touch in the hopes that a, that you would finally get a story and, and it finally worked out? What's the longest window? Oh, I mean, I would say months, you know, like I will, I will occasionally, occasionally reach out, reach out every other week or something. Mm -hmm. And after a few months, it finally clicks. And sometimes it's that the person isn't ready to talk about whatever I'm asking and they just didn't happen to communicate that to me. So I just, you know, put it on my calendar every other week. Hey, are you, Hey, can we get in touch? Hey, what about this? So, I mean, it could be months before you actually connect with somebody. Mm-hmm. And it's not longer. Sorry. Right. Yeah, sure. Longer. And and what, so, and what do you do in the meantime? So, I mean, I think a lot of people, they, you know, they know that like, you know, this person over here is the one I need to reach in order to start moving on. And so you start reaching out. And as you say, because you're charitable and kind, you're, you know, you're, you're giving a nice, good amount of space between 
contacts. And what do you do in the meantime? I mean, I think this is a thing where where a lot of people who are looking for that next connection they they get a little paralyzed. What do you What do you do? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I don't have all my eggs in one basket. I think it, to the idea that oh my gosh, if I can't get in touch with Chloe at at Nugo, or if I can't get in touch with Mike Perry at the the newspaper, I'm never going to get any media coverage, and I'm now paralyzed because they haven't responded. Right. That's not the good way to think about it. Um. I, I, so I would say. Keep trying, but also have other things on your list to do that are productive. Reach out to somebody else at one of the organizations. Reach out to different kind of organizations. Um, go to, I know I've done a couple panels here where media members talk to business owners or nonprofits about how to deal with the media. Go find stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Find somebody who knows a reporter, you know, like say, if so, sometimes somebody will say to me, Hey, I have this friend who's trying to get in touch with you and they haven't been able to. And, and sometimes that's the way it ends up working out. Um, just don't put all your eggs in one basket and don't get discouraged. Um, find other ways to tell your story, whether it be social media, whether it be, um, a blog post, whether it be Facebook live, work on other, other things. Right. And this is a really, really interesting point. We've gotten to the place in in the world where a lot of what the press traditionally does, sufficiently determined person can do on Twitter. Right. You might be able to run That's for office That's both exciting that and sad. Right. So, <laughs> so, so how do you, as a reporter, A, how do you navigate that environment and continue to... I mean, there's still loads of distinctives that you offer to the person who, is, who has Twitter and they say, well, I can get to everybody on Twitter... What do you say to that person when you're when you're when you're offering to them the value proposition of being involved with your local press? Sure. Um, I would say that unless you first of all, I think it's kind of easier said than done. Uh-huh. The, the Twitter thing. I think a lot of people think that, oh, I just build a Facebook page and I send out a f- couple of tweets and everybody's going to follow me. Right. Well, that's not actually as easy. I mean, sometimes you could be the, the person that blows up like that, but if you're a small business owner or an entrepreneur and you have a billion other things you're dealing with, that often, in my experience, kind of falls to the bottom right. of, of what you're focusing on because you have to do it consistently. You can't right. send out one tweet. You can't just put up a Facebook page and hope people like it. You have to stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. So the value of having the the news out in the media is that it, it easily reaches more people, but also it's a... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's it's like a vetting thing. Like it's not coming directly from you. You saying, "Oh my gosh, my business is awesome." It's like, okay, a reporter has thought enough of this to to write about. You know, exactly. I, we're not we're not going to write about something that is fake or something that is you know not not worthy of being published. So right. it, it kind of gives a little more credibility. Right. Reporters are stewarding an audience, so obviously. It's, it's not in their best interest to put garbage in front of them. So when a reporter or a publication like Nuga.com puts their attention on something, it's a way of saying, look, we think this is worthwhile. And, uh, and so there's that too. And I think anybody who says, oh, I can just start sending out a couple of tweets and that's going to do it. Clearly that person has no idea what exactly. the amount of hustle that it takes to build a community on, on social media. I think that's, we recently had, um, on a, we had a social media sort of manager on the show and to hear her description of the hustle that that takes and the, like the kind of 24, seven, 365 
hustle that it takes to make a social media community happen. It, it's a full-time job in exactly. itself. And if you're not, if you're running a business and you're not looking for shortcuts on that, on that deal, you're just not taking it serious. And so I think if, if the media already has that connection and you can offer the media something that's newsworthy, why in the world would you deprive yourself of that shortcut? Absolutely. Another thing that I also tell, tell people kind of when we go out and do these um, panels is think more broadly about the story. Mm. A lot of people think, okay, the story has to be about me or it has to be about my business. Right. Well, there are other options because often, say you happen to be a veterinarian uh, or a banker or you know whatever, if you have some kind of specific expertise Offer yourself up in that way. And it might not be a full profile on your business, but it says, you know, Chloe Morrison, president or CEO of XXX business. And that's still getting the word out about your company. So offer yourself up in different ways or be open to reading other articles and figuring out how did this person get their name in there? How did this person get their name in there? There, there are a variety of ways to be referenced in an article. Absolutely. I think this is super important. Find out who has gotten in front of the audience you're after and what did they do to get there? I had a, a, an agency client who was a dentist not long ago, and the dentist talked about the media as if it was sort of like this deep occult chamber that <laughs> you could only penetrate with like all kinds of incantations and potions. And I said, look, the dentist three blocks down from you did a food drive for people in your neighborhood. And what reporter doesn't want to pick that up? So exactly. it's, this isn't magic. It's, it's just clear. Read what that person did and then figure out how you can do that same thing, but better. Right. And and that's the thing. I do think it's a kind of a misunderstanding of how the media works. It's a fear of the media, which I understand sometimes like when I'm being interviewed, not so much right now, but for like a print, <laughs> a print post. So like I've had students interview me and, you know, I see them taking notes and I know that they're going to go back and write my story. And it was the first time I realized like, wow, that's a vulnerable position to totally. be in, to trust somebody to tell your story in an accurate way is, is scary. So I think, but I think that also you can overcome that by real on both ends. Reporters are just people. The person that, you know, is talking, they're just people. So communicate that if, if I was nervous about it, or if you're nervous, be like, cause a lot of times people are like, can I read the article before? Well, no, most rep, all reputable publications aren't going to let you see the article beforehand. Right. But but you can say, well, I was a little nervous about what I said here or, you know, and just work with the reporter uh, to not be so afraid or right. assume that they're just going to they're out to tell some kind of crazy story about you. And I also think you have to pick what reporters you you trust, you know, and if you feel like one burned you one time, maybe don't work with that one. Totally. One of the great things about when when Nuga did the story on on this show, one of the things that I really loved about that is when we got done with that conversation, you gave me a timeline. You know, this will probably go to press in like two days or whatever it was. And then you said, if in the next couple of days something comes up and you realize, oh, I, I meant something different from what I said or there's something that I need to add, please do let me know. Yeah. And I think it's go ahead. Well, yeah. And I think most reporters are are open to that. And I don't think people should be scared to, to kind of follow back up. Now, there's a line of 
some people will get a little controlling and be like, make sure you say right. it like this. And you can't tell a reporter how to report their story. Right. That's the fastest way to offend a reporter. Right. But you can work with them and and talk with them like a normal person and 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 say, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this. How how are you thinking about this? Just to make sure we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And what I think one of the great things about this current moment in time is the, the the sheer number of different kinds of media that there are. So there's, you know, the newspaper where, where people expect to hear, you know, one kind of thing. They expect that your words are going to be filtered through the reporter's own uh, attempt to tell a good story. But then there are other, you know, there's sort of one of the neat things about the podcast format is there's still editing involved, but at, at the end of the day, it's, you in your own words, you know, that, right. that that format allows the person to kind of wax on at length in their own words and let their own way of being interesting be the story. Absolutely. And I mean, podcasts are, I mean, they're, they're blowing up. There's a great one every, every second you turn around. Um, and it's a, it's a really cool medium that for, I mean, you're highlighting local businesses. That's why it's so important to not just think, oh, if I didn't get in the paper, if I didn't get on Nougat.com, I can't get any publicity. I mean, there, there are countless options out there. And and also with things being online a lot more, mm-hmm. um, I used to freelance for a publication that was based in Arkansas, but covered the entire Southeast. And I was charged with covering stories in Chattanooga. So, um, but people all around the Southeast saw that. And I mean, the New York times will report on Chattanooga occasionally. And so on people and people everywhere can see what's online. So I just, it's constantly changing, constantly evolving podcasts, being online, social media. There are a lot of tools. It's, it is a challenge to learn how to, to navigate it all. But I think that's part of what you're doing is helping people understand that. Right. Absolutely. I think, I mean, for us, one of the the main drivers of this show is seeing local businesses struggle with the new, the new media economy and wanting to give people access to uh, one, you know, to, to a, a limb that's, I mean, we're not, we probably don't even have as big a listener demo yet as some regional papers, but one of the neat things about small media is attention and hustle that you just can't get from somebody who is like, all right, I've got a two day deadline and on to the next thing. And I think as a small business owner, searching the whole range of media options to see what aligns with your needs at that time or for that particular story, the best is, is crucial to getting your, to getting your message out in a way that is inviting and unassuming and frankly, just not so salesy all the time. Absolutely. That's a great point. And it's, it's, it's hard a little bit in business, but people, I try to explain, it's not my job. I'm not your PR person. I'm a reporter who's going to write about you. And out of that, you will probably, you will get some publicity, but I'm here to do a, an article. It's not an ad. So there, there is that distinction sometimes that people get confused by or scared by. I think they, they're like, wait, I can't totally determine exactly what's going to be said. I'm like, well, you know what's going to be said because we had this conversation, but I'm not going to put your logo on there and I'm not mm-hmm. going to 
I'm, I'm not going to make it a sales pitch, you know? Right. So I think understanding that is important too, but it's, it's not any less valuable because it's not an, a, a, you know, some kind of sales pitch. Right. It's crucial because media outlets, they, they build trust with their readers precisely by not being salesy. And right. so the, the trick for the business owner and the difficulty there is to learn how to reward the trust that that audience places in the media that you're working with. Right. So, wow, that's super excellent. I, I think so much there for business owners to know. I do find consistently that that press relations and how to deal with the press is just a sort of constant bedeviling problem yeah. for, for local businesses, especially ones where there have been notorious like media burnings of that industry. So, I right. mean, I, I think medical professionals and especially dentists, chiropractors, they feel this intently because everything that goes on record is, you know, part of the next lawsuit potentially. So they're Correct. nervous about it. And I think this is uh this is the sort of thing that will really help some of them really learn how to work with the media so that the way that the media is already on your side is something that's advantageous for you. Right. One, one little last thing that uh, I get a lot from business people, they think that they're supposed to or or it would help if they offer me something free. They they want me to cover their their cycle boats and they want me to come have a free ride. Mm-hmm. Ethically, we're not allowed to do that and I I do my job not because I want free stuff. I right. do my job because I like telling stories and it can be kind of an awkward thing to have to continually say no. I, I can't take this facial you're offering or no, I can't take this. I, I promise I'll write about your, they're like, but you need to experience it. Well, there are reporters or commentators that review stuff like that. Right. So it's important to realize the difference. I'm a business reporter, but I don't take services and then review them. I write about them and let the public know. So don't feel like you have to offer but reporters free stuff. Most of them, if they're good, aren't going to take it. And um, it, it can just make it a little awkward. Yeah, amazing. Forgive me, darling, for I have sinned the awful growing Special thanks and big shout out to Suze Long and Hard Worker. Great Roots Rock style folk kind of Americana sound coming out of Durham, North Carolina. Appreciate so much them partnering up with the show and letting us use some of their tunes. You guys are hearing great stuff here. Their music is incredible. What can I say? It speaks for itself. You can find them at Instagram.com slash hardworkerband or Facebook.com slash the same thing. You can find them on the web at hardworkerband.com. Looking forward to seeing Hardworker out on the road this summer. Um, Not quite sure where all they're going to be yet, but as the itinerary gets finalized, we certainly will let you know. And you can also find out at all those great properties. Again, Instagram, Facebook, and on the web. Hardworker, you guys rock. Just keep it up. Knowing there's no other life but the awful road. Chloe, what is the weirdest story you've done in the last in, in the six years at Nuga? What's what's like the story where you look back on and you're like, that was really odd? Oh my gosh. Um well there's one that comes to mind, except that I didn't write it. My one of my interns wrote it. Um let me think of another one. Um odd. That's a tough question, and I knew it was coming, and now I can't remember. Or I can't. It's it's like it's all a blur. Um, can I tell you about the one my intern wrote? Totally. Um, 
So, and, and in this fact, is- let's name drop the intern so we can really embarrass okay. somebody. <laughs> I'm okay. just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be, you could find it on nougat.com if you wanted to. So, um, one thing that we, we have started doing is covering the beer board because that's a mm. way to find out about new businesses. You know, if you're applying for a beer license, you might be a new business. Um, also, people always like to know if, if a business gets their beer license suspended. So I took this new intern with me the first week and said, here's the beer board. Here are the people. Sit here. Let's figure out how to cover it. Go back. Help. Walked him through the whole process. So then the next beer board, he goes by himself. And there's one, one thing on the agenda, one business that has gotten their, their license suspended. Mm. And it... And usually it's uh, serving underage, you know, or or not carding or something like this. Well, and I hope this isn't too graphic. I mean, we wrote about it, but it turns out that the reason they um, got their license suspended was because there was on Super Bowl night a sort of like impromptu like sex show, like a wow. stri- stripping, like two women engaging in like just strip club behavior in the wow. middle of this. And so this intern, he's in college, it's a second beer board meeting. And this is like what he get, what he has to cover. Right. And so, you know, and, and that just, it just happened. And that's the thing that that's kind of been the, the weirdest story that we've had lately. You don't often write about something like that, that just happens in a small business. Sure. And so that's what popped into my mind. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> that more than rewards the question. Goodness. <laughs> And Chloe, what do you think? I mean, you've been chronicling business in Chattanooga for six years, which, as I understand it, at least goes slightly before the kind of big boom uh, that's come about as a result of the the infrastructure changes and high-speed internet, things like that. What has been the most exciting development in that time? I would say everything that has, I guess, uh, EPB and and the gig offering and and that infrastructure and then everything that has been spurred on kind of because of that. Like when I left Chattanooga, EPB was not this huge building downtown. It was nothing. And for and those who came, don't know, EPB is Electric Power Board. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it's a it supplies our, you know, our lights, our internet, all that. But it was the first, if not one of the first, to offer this high-speed fiber optic infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So we have some of the fastest internet in the world. So it's it's like equivalent to Google Fiber, but it was way before right. Google Fiber was a thing. So them having the foresight to, to put in that infrastructure, knowing, not knowing how, but knowing that it would be needed, I think has been the most crucial thing in the past six years or so that has spurred local business. Right. And a side note from that. Yeah. Um, well, so part as part of that, we have something called the smart grid. So like whenever you, there's a big tornado and your power goes out or flickers, this grid knows where the power outages are, identifies them very, very quickly, and then reroutes all the, the energy, I guess, to mean that the least amount of people actually experience outages. Wow. So, yeah. So that's like a a total different technical part that EPB provides, but we have, you know, fewer outages and they're not as long because of this infrastructure that EPB has developed. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. I don't even know what to say about that. That that (laughs) sounds like some like back to the future stuff right there. Yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. And it's it's a little technical and complicated. We've written about it. If you want to 
search Nougat and, and read more about it, how it works. It's had these smart switches and smart grid and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's just, I think APB and then just the sheer, sheer will of the leaders wanting to continue to capitalize on, because there was this resurgence in the 90s when the aquarium was built and the mm-hmm. riverfront was built. So we we can't discount that just because there's been this like like kind of revolution in the past six years or something. Right. This has constantly been building for decades. And I think leaders did not want to see it stall. Right. I think a thing that would be easy to miss would be to say, uh, or to imagine that, you know, that EPB just decided at some point, hey, let's 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 build really incredible next generation infrastructure. Like something had to be there already that gave the indicators that this might work. And so, you know, it's easy to look at the last six years and say, this is where everything came from. And to not realize that the reason those investments happened is because of something that was a decade or more in the making prior to that. Absolutely. So what's still missing from Chattanooga, Chloe? I mean, you spent a lot of time in that scene and like getting around Chattanooga, finding out about the new stuff that's going on. What's missing? What what is what's the big where's the gold still left in the hills in Chattanooga? Well, uh, you and I talked about this. Um, You just visited and noticed that there was no, um, you know, kind of grocery store downtown, although there is a small little one on Market Street that I'm afraid is rumor is it might go out of business soon. And but but there had been another one that went out of business and Mm -hmm. there just wasn't the downtown living density yet. Right. So I think what is happening now, we have like countless apartment buildings going up. And so I think the what we're missing and what we're on the precipice of getting is actual population of people who live downtown, because that's one thing that makes some downtown businesses struggle. Real estate downtown is relatively expensive to lease for a small business owner and especially restaurants. If you can't be open So it's like for a lot of people, it's not worth being open on the weekend because not enough people live downtown to frequent your business. Right. So and and, and for people who live outside downtown, they're scared to come downtown or they're wary because they think, oh, parking or it's going to be crowded when that's not totally true. You just kind of have to know where to park. So I think one thing we're missing right now is just the population density, Mm -hmm. although that's definitely changed. But I think the more people who live downtown, the more services that there will be needed downtown and will it'll continue to snowball. Hmm. What do you think about? So when you think about a downtown area and especially a growing downtown where there's more and more people moving there, the obvious questions are things like restaurants, right? Like that's and and Chattanooga's restaurant scene, especially downtown, is really amazing. What about other kinds of sort of services that are that people like within a few blocks of their house if they live in a in a walking downtown. Dennis, yoga studios. I mean, what's what's the situation on that downtown? What's your read of it? I'm trying to think. I feel like there are dentists downtown. I'm not for sure for a dentist. I know there are eye doctors downtown that you can walk to. My eye doctor is a few blocks away. There are definitely yoga studios that you can walk to. There's, I mean, there's Walgreens across the bridge, which mm-hmm. is theoretically walkable. Right. Uh, it, you know, it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or you can ride bikes. There's a bike share program. There are chiropractors. There's an allergy clinic. There's, you know, I think maybe there. there's even like pet stores, that kind of stuff. I don't, I live and work downtown. And unless it's for 
you know, reporting, I don't go outside downtown that much. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, you can probably get most of what you need downtown. And for businesses who are outside of that, that, that walkable area, how can they best contribute? I mean, how can they, for one, how can they catch the wave of, of Chattanooga's growth and how can they offer services to make it rewarding to still work on the outside of, of downtown for one, I mean, obviously it's cheaper to have a place out there. So your, your break even points are a little easier and things like that. I think parking is one big sell. I think people, if they know that they can drive right up and park next to the door and walk right in, they are going to, that that's a big sell. I should also clarify that. So technically downtown, I think like technically is a Mm -hmm. very small part. When I talk about downtown, I'm including the South side, the North shore, um, MLK, the downtown area. Right. So just so when we're talking about that, everybody understands that I don't mean like the very, very small technically defined. Um, But for businesses outside, I think that being, I think just being involved with people who are downtown and it's, again, there are tons of people that live outside downtown that Mm -hmm. need all those services. So that's a little bit of an interesting question because there's maybe just a disconnect. You either like to kind of live outside in the suburbs and you you have everything you need there, mm-hmm. or you kind of like to live downtown and you're excited to see that growth. Um, I'm not so clear on kind of where those things can overlap really. Right. Well, Chloe, I think this is really incredible. Um, it's a hope that people will, will catch um, some of those insights you're giving about the trends in Chattanooga and, and that will help somebody make the next decision about whether to, where to invest or what's what's next. I think watching population growth and things like that is a very, very tricky game. But mm-hmm. that a grocery store may have not worked in a particular area yet doesn't at all mean that it won't. And I think it's just, you know, sort of watching and waiting to see, like, when is the right moment to pull the trigger? When are there enough people who are living here and paying car rent or what? You know, it's things like that. When is that? a big enough factor in people's lives that, you know, that walk traffic to a grocery store is going to be sufficient to keep one in business. Yeah, absolutely. And I I guess one last thing I would say is that business owners or small business owners, entrepreneurs, people who are looking to start businesses, there are countless resources. We have the Small Business Development Center. Uh, We have lots of incubators, the Company Lab. There, There are countless resources for people who can help you make a business plan, help you know what kind of banks to talk to, help you know how to connect with the press, like all those things. Um, you just kind of have to reach out and and ask for that help, I think. That's about as good a place to end as I can imagine. Chloe, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. There's no other life but the awful